Welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is the show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. Today's interview is with Rand Fishkin. Rand is the co-founder of Moz, a Seattle-based SaaS company that sells inbound marketing and marketing analytics software. The company was founded in 2004 as a consulting firm and shifted to software development in 2008. The Moz website has an online community of more than 1 million digital marketers. And to date, the company has raised just under $20 million in funding. Are you looking to sell your online business or buy one to start your entrepreneurial journey? Discover exciting opportunities with Bupos.com. Bupos is the number one platform for buying and selling profitable online businesses and the first to offer built-in acquisition financing for qualified buyers. At Bupos.com, you can explore their exclusive listings, browse listings from other marketplaces, or submit your own deal for approval. Bupos can offer pre-approved financing for recurring revenue businesses, allowing you to access fast funding with no personal guarantees. And their experienced M&A advisory team supports you every step of the way. To learn more, visit sasclub.io slash Bupos. That's sasclub.io slash B-O-O-P-O-S. Sign up today and get qualified to sell your business or find your next deal. Is your team struggling with spreadsheets that can't keep up with your workflows? It's time to switch to Jotform Tables. Jotform Tables is an all-in-one workspace that lets you collect, organize, and manage data seamlessly. Not only can you create online forms to gather data directly in Jotform Tables, but it also serves as a powerful tool to manage and analyze the data collected from your existing Jotform forms. You can also import spreadsheets or enter information manually, and all your data is stored securely in one place. Jotform Tables makes collaboration a breeze. You can share your tables with a single click and work with your team in real time. Say goodbye to version control issues and hello to efficient teamwork. Get started with Jotform tables for free today at sasclub.io slash jotform. That's sasclub.io slash jotform. Hey, are you struggling to grow your SaaS business? As a SaaS founder, you know that having the right tools is crucial for growing your SaaS business effectively. But with so many options, choosing the best ones for your needs can be overwhelming. That's where the SaaS toolkit comes in. This handy guide covers the 12 essential types of tools you need to supercharge your growth. Inside, you'll find a detailed look at tools successful SaaS startups have used to scale to seven figures and beyond. It gives you specific examples and makes practical recommendations to help you choose the right tools for your SaaS business. Don't miss out. Visit thesastoolkit.com to download your free copy and unlock faster growth for your SaaS business. That's thesastoolkit.com. Rand, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Omar. I'm uh, I'm delighted to uh, finally be talking to the Wizard of Moz, so <laughs> great to do this. Okay, now before we talk about Moz, can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Who is Rand when he's not working? When I'm not working? Uh, let's see. I am... I try to be a, a good husband to my wife, Geraldine. Um, I would say that's the, the primary um, activity that I have outside of, outside of my work is, uh, is spending time with Geraldine. We, um, we travel a lot together. She runs a travel website um, called Everywhereist. And let's see, other things. I'm, uh, I'm a little bit of a fan of NFL football. Um, somewhat ashamedly, I, I think there's a lot of terrible things about the NFL, but I still really enjoy the games. Uh, <laughs> and I, uh, I used to be a big outdoorsman. I think before um, before Moz got 
you know, kind of hot and heavy. And so maybe one day I'll return to that as well. Great. I love Geraldine's blog, by the way. I, when I was doing research for this uh, interview, uh, I, I came across the blog and um, it, it made me laugh. Right? Okay. <laughs> that, was... that, that I will do. Uh, Geraldine has something very, very special and unique. You know, so we're going to talk about inbound marketing and SEO and social media and all these channels to acquire traffic. And Geraldine is one of the least active promoters, marketers for her blog. And yet she still gets, you know, 100,000 plus visits a month there. Wow. And, uh, a huge part of that is just she's created a very addictive form of content for a certain audience, right? People go, they read, and then they they just come back again and again and again. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty remarkable and it's somewhat, <laughs> it's somewhat frustrating for me to sometimes, you know, Tell her like hey, you got to do SEO so you'll get more traffic. <laughs> Look, I'm getting more traffic. <laughs> All right, now before we uh, kick things off, we, we we like to get you know just hear a success quote from our guest to better understand what drives and motivates them. What is one of your favorite quotes? Um, so there's a he was a writer among other things from Abraham Heschel, uh, and he. He said, this is one of my favorite things and something I, I certainly believe. When I was young, I admired clever people. Now that I am old, I admire kind people. Um, and I think implicit in that statement is that with wisdom comes admiration, not for intelligence or accomplishment, but for kindness uh, and generosity. And I, I think those those things are inherently more worthy of our praise and our attention and unfortunately don't always receive it great quote okay let's let's start by giving our listeners uh, for those people who don't know a better understanding of Moz can you tell us a little bit about who your target customers are and what are the top pain points that you're trying to solve for them sure so our customers are primarily professional marketers uh, they come in one of three varieties, uh, an in-house marketer working on a team at a, a startup or a, a company of really almost any size, um, all the way from, you know, four person, tiny new company to, um, you know, I think we have something in the range of 30 or 40% of the fortune 1000 have a Moz account, right? So somebody on their internal marketing teams has an account. Uh, and then the second group would be, uh, agencies, you know, agencies that help people, usually that help people do SEO professionally. Uh, sometimes those agencies also help with things like pay-per-click and social media marketing and content marketing, those kinds of things, but definitely SEO. And then the third group would be independent consultants and independent uh, entrepreneurs or, or solo entrepreneurs who focus a lot on SEO. So we sort of have those three groups, independent, agency, and in-house. Okay. Um, now, I mentioned earlier that Moz uh, originally started out as a consulting business, which uh, you were running with your mother. Can you tell me a little bit about where the idea for the software business came from? <laughs> um, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't particularly intentional. It's... You know, what I want to be able to tell you, Omar, is that, you know, we got in a room and, and we thought, hey, how are we going to take this business to the next level and uh, realize that subscription software was going to be 
the future and that we could have a very low cost of customer acquisition and a fast payback period and a you know, uh, high LT CLTV to uh, CAC ratio. Uh, and that would make us a very attractive company for investment and, and for, you know, maybe an eventual IPO or a sale or those kinds of things. That is, none of that is true. None of that is true. I think the, the idea was basically this. Um, so at the time there were, I think just three of us in 2006, maybe there were four by the end of the year, four or five. Uh, and it was basically my mom, myself, and uh, Matt Inman, who was our, our first developer. Uh, Matt, you may know him today. He runs a, um, a comic website called The Oatmeal that's relatively popular. Um, and so, you know, at the time, Matt was uh, kind of building SEO tools and, and making websites for clients and that kind of thing at, at the company, which was called SEO Moz at the time. And... Uh, Matt had created some tools internally for mostly me to use um, and some of our early consultants when we were doing uh, consulting work uh, for our clients, right? So we had tools that would automate some of the SEO investigation and analysis process. And we thought to ourselves, hey, you know, um, we should, we say we really believe in transparency and making things uh, available to others. We should make all of our tools available to other people. Let's, uh, you know, let's put them online and um, we'll set up like a little PayPal thing so you can PayPal us some money and get access to our tools. That, that is literally as far um, as we planned in terms of, you know, the intelligent idea for, uh, for what we were going to do. So a little bit so amateur you- hour. So, so did you, I mean, did you, a lot of people will be thinking about, okay, we're going to get software out there you know, it, it it works for us maybe internally, but to kind of build a commercial product, we have to think about a whole bunch of other things and, oh, and how's it going to scale. And <laughs> Yeah, I promise you, we did not think about any of those things, which is why the tools for the first, you know, couple of years would break every week or two and could only support like a few hundred people using them. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, it was very, very hacky, very amateur. Um, you know, as as Matt himself said, he he left the company in two thousand seven, uh, just before we took our first investment round. He said, "You know, I don't I don't really want to be a developer. I don't I don't like programming. I'm uh, you know I'm not a software engineer. I, I don't even think we called our product software. We we were like, oh no, we made some little hacky tools that you can subscribe to, um, and we also wrote some guides. And you know, you get the guides and the content uh, if you subscribed." Yeah, so it was. Um, it really was driven by the fact that even those tiny efforts, those um, you know very amateur efforts at the beginning of our run uh, in software, had such success. Right, they resonated so much with our audience, and I think part of that is because we had already built an audience that was like us. Right, they needed the same things that we did uh, at the time because we were doing consulting, um, which is basically the same whether you're doing it externally or in-house. And so, you know, the, the product served the market and the market was already in front of us and the market knew us and liked us and trusted us and had been reading our stuff for years. Um, so I think that really helped to accelerate the growth. And then once we had that growth, of course, that's, I think it was that summer of 2007, we attracted some um, attention 
from two local investors. Um, one was Michelle Goldberg from Ignition Partners, and the other was Kelly Smith from Curious Office. And in November of that year, they both uh, invested some money. So Michelle put in a million, and Kelly put in a hundred thousand, and we raised. 1.1 million. So don't believe what TechCrunch or Wikipedia say about 1.25. I don't know where that number came from, but once it's out there, you can't take it back. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, we I had this crazy idea that I really wanted to build the back end of Google, specifically the link graph, right? So I wanted to be able to crawl the whole web, index all the links, and then do the processing on them, run our own version of PageRank, um, run our own version of TrustRank because I was pretty sure Google had something like that going and uh, and then be able to show all that data to web marketers, right? To make Google's processes transparent, right? And uh, I think my passion overwhelmed the good sense, which was you can't rebuild the back end of Google on a million dollars. However, I found two guys actually through Geraldine. Um, Geraldine was was friends with this guy Ben Hendrickson from uh, uh, years back. They were they were in debate together in high school, and uh, he and and another guy that uh, that Geraldine hooked us up with, uh, Nick Gerner, joined Moz, and they basically built um, what originally was called Linkscape, and today is called Mozscape. And it really was that. You know, it was I think the initial version was only like twenty or so billion. Uh, pages, as an example, today our index, our next index coming out next week, I think is like 280 or almost 300 billion. But you know that this is a start, and you really could, you could, you could, you know, plug in a URL and see all the pages on the web that link to it, and look at how important they were, um, and that was kind of game changing. So when that when that launched, and the fact that it launched successfully, um, it launched on a bad day. It launched the day that Bear Stearns collapsed in 2008. Um, wow. <laughs> so most of the press that we thought we were going to get went in a different direction, but uh, it still, it still worked out. So by 2000, I think the end of 2008, December, 2008, we were back to profitability. So I want to talk a little bit back about when you launched um, the product or you made the, the these tools available. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you said that you had already built a following and, and presumably that was mainly through the blog yeah. Um, how long had that blog, how, how long had you been building that blog before you launched the software product? Uh, let's see. I guess it would have been just about three years. So. And, and what type of content were you creating? What were you, what are you writing about? <laughs> well, yeah, don't, don't read stuff from the first six months of the blog for the first <laughs> year because you'll be pretty embarrassed. It's, um, it's pretty silly, but, but no, I think, it was one of those things where I, I forced myself to five nights a week, sometimes six or seven nights a week, uh, write for three, well, I think it was for five years uh, that I did it basically just myself, right? So every night I'd, I'd get home from work, Geraldine and I would have dinner, and then by 10 p.m. I'd be in front of my computer, and by 2 a.m. there'd be a blog post up for the next day. Um, and that was, you know, my goal there was to create interest to um, share what I was learning in sort of my journey to get to know the process of SEO. Um, And then as I started to know SEO, I found, um, I think, a a frustration point and a point of passion that I still carry with me today, which is that uh, the search engines today, it's mostly Google, but but, uh, Bing as well, 
have a lot of information, right? They, they know what they're doing and they know why they're doing it, but they don't share that information. So there's a lot of secrecy in terms of this is how search engines operate. Um, and I'm actually a believer that they would be better off, the search engines would be better off, and the market would be far better off, and SEO would have a better name if they were transparent about it. And so, you know, supposedly one of Google's core values is transparency, and they believe in organizing the world's information and making it accessible to everyone. So, you know what? If they're not going to do it, I'm going to do it. I, I felt very strongly and still feel really strongly about making Google's processes transparent to everyone so that it's not a mystery. It's not a secret. SEO isn't some black magic. It's just, look, this is how this system functions. This is what this system cares about. And here's ways that you can improve. Um, do, do you think that that would also um, kind of make it easier for people to to game the system if they had that level of transparency? Yes and no. I actually think, so this is like one of those um, things that people always talk about in the security world, right? That security through obscurity almost never works properly because some people, a small niche, usually the most manipulative uh, folks will figure out how to game that system and everyone else will not. And so, you know, it basically becomes a um, a bias and a, a win for your your spammers, your manipulators. Um, and I think that was true of Google as well. And I'd actually say I... I believe that one of the reasons Google has become much less spam-filled, one of the reasons that they um, have become better at fighting spam, one of the reasons that there is um, much less spam, especially in the SEO world, I would say, you know, when I started in the industry, a good 20 or 30% of folks playing in SEO were, were spammers, um, were manipulating and, and violating guidelines and that kind of stuff. And now I'd say... That number is uh, under five percent, probably under two percent. So, you know, I, I wouldn't credit Moz with all of that, but I would say that as an industry, we've made SEO much more transparent, and I think that's actually made uh, gaming the engines much harder. It's made good SEO work much better. It's made the practice much more reliable. It means that people can actually invest in it in the long term. Oh. Are you an entrepreneur looking to buy a profitable online business or a founder ready to sell? Bupos is the number one platform for buying and selling profitable online businesses. With their exclusive listings, as well as listings from other marketplaces, and the option to submit your own deal for approval, Bupos has you covered. Plus, they're the first to offer built-in acquisition financing for qualified buyers of recurring revenue businesses, allowing you to access fast funding without personal guarantees and their experienced M&A advisory team supports you every step of the way. To learn more, visit sasclub.io slash bupos. That's sasclub.io slash B-O-O-P-O-S. Sign up today and get qualified to start your entrepreneurial journey or sell your business at the right valuation with bupos.com. So looking back at those early days of launching the what became the software business, what do you think was one of the biggest mistakes that you made <laughs> I mean, everything except having a blog where people <laughs> were, there, there is no mistake we didn't make. Um, so let's see. We uh, had really terrible billing systems. We had no metrics on customer lifetime value. 
or churn. We had no idea how long or short people's tenure was on average with Moz. Um, we didn't understand cost of customer acquisition. Uh, we did not know. We didn't know anything about our customers other than what we thought we knew from interacting with them kind of on the blog and at conferences and that kind of stuff. Um, so we had no personas or, mo- you know, um, customer modeling or uh, anything like that. But basically, the least professional operation you can imagine. Um, it's like Larry, Moe, and Curly running a software <laughs> as a service business. So at what point did you feel that you had enough traction there? And, and, and when did you really decide that, no, we're going to refocus on, on the software business now? Um, I think it was when we raised investment, right? So when Michelle and Kelly invested, uh, they had a, I think they did a number of, uh, of good things. Um, and one sort of, well, one sort of whatever thing, which was uh, they made me the CEO, Right. So they said, basically, we're interested in investing in Moz. We, we think the software company has legs, but we want Rand to be the CEO. And so as CEO, I think the, the one thing that I was at least mostly smart enough to know was that I didn't know anything. And so I leaned heavily on them. I listened to them um, at board meetings. I mostly listened to them. I can be hard headed at times, too. Um, and I tried to learn a lot about the, the business that we were in, not just you know, SEO and marketing, but uh, venture capital backed businesses and those kinds of things. Um, I got connected with a lot of other venture backed CEOs and tried to learn from them. And, and we just got more, more professional. But I think that was, that was the spark, right? Um, Michelle in particular nudged us at a lot of board meetings around, hey, these are the metrics that I expect to see reported. This is what I want to see in the board decks. Um, and Sarah Bird, who's now our, uh, our CEO, um, she, she was our chief operating officer, I think starting in 2008, we had hired her at the end of 2007, but you know, we promoted her to that role and, you know, she started digging in and acquiring those metrics, getting those formalized systems set up, moving off PayPal and onto something a little better. Um, Yeah. So let's talk about some of the challenges that you've faced as the company's grown. Now, Moz has been very transparent about financial performance, and, and I really like that. And, and from what I understand, the company's been almost doubling revenue every year since you launched the software business. Um, uh, and yes, it, until, until recently, that, that is true. So the first, what is that, seven, six years, uh, we doubled revenue basically every year. Um, 2009, we a little bit more than doubled. But uh, in 20, let's see, from 2013 to 14, it grew more like uh, 50%. And then this last year's growth was only about 6%. So we, we had a really rocky last like 18 months. So in 2013, you, you reported record revenue over, I think, $29 million, but you also posted a a $5.7 million loss. Can you, can you tell me more about what was going on there? Yeah, well, that's um, the $5.7 million losses. I think that's very intentional, right? If you're going to go in 2012, we raised an $18 million round. And so the idea is, you know, you're supposed to spend that money. Um, if you're going to be profitable, 
why dilute yourself by going out, going out and getting venture? Um, and so for, for us, that was an intentional loss. I think, you know, we lost probably something similar. I, I have the board financials. I could look it up. Um, but, uh, something similar in, uh, 2014. And I expect we're going to lose two or 3 million more in, uh, 2015. Our revenue is kind of slowly ramping up. And so we're, we're kind of making up for the the hiring and the hardware investments and all that kind of stuff that we made over the last couple of years, um, which were, which were pretty different, right? So like the last 18 months, the business has become much more capital efficient, um, but it's grown at a much slower rate. And I think, you know, part of that slowdown is some of those investments. We, we moved off of um, a lot of our older systems, built our own data centers, um, but didn't launch a whole lot of great new software. Uh, as a result of kind of that um, infrastructure focus. So uh, I, uh, in one of your blog posts, um, and, and I've got to say, you know, reading, uh, you know, the stuff that you write um, and the incredible transparency and openness you have um, is it's pretty remarkable. And, and one, one particular post I remember reading and you talked about how tough I think 2013 had been and, and that you had felt depressed and that that was a big reason why you'd stepped down as CEO. That's right. Why did you feel that you had to step down? Um, I think I was kind of dragging the company down with me. Right. So you, you, when you are a startup, especially when you are going through um, tough, challenging times, right? And it's not just, hey, we're doubling year over year and we're not even working that hard, um, which Moz has had a couple of years like that. <laughs> those are nice years. Uh, I, I would say that when you're having those struggles, you need someone who is an optimist, someone who can see the light at the end of the tunnel, who can describe that to the rest of the company and who manages the, um, the team and the attitude and the direction from that perspective. Um, and I was not that person. So I, I think that's a, that's a big part of, at least I had the clarity to be able to see that I wasn't that person. You know, I had, um, for whatever reason, I had thoughts in my head like, well, maybe this thing's over. You know, maybe it didn't work out. Um, you know, because instead of growing 100% year over year, we only grew 50%. I think for some reason, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I, I had a, I think one of the weirdest things about my depression and maybe a good illustrative example of how um, odd it could make my behavior. So let, let's say, Omer, that you and I met, you know, in person somewhere at a conference and, and we start chatting and you're like, Rand, I, you know, I really love Mazda's software. What you guys are doing is super cool. I, I would spend five minutes trying to convince you that what we had built sucked <laughs> and it was terrible. And like why all these in other competitors of ours had better products in like, you know, niche X and Y and Z that, that is something that I would do, <laughs> which is, it's not necessarily ideal behavior for a CEO. Um, it's certainly not going to encourage your engineers to want to work for that person. So, but I think in many ways that's the kind of person you are, right? I mean, from from what I've seen, um, you're always 
on a personal level, always trying to um, sort of examine yourself and and find those shortcomings and and talk openly about them. And you know, I think a lot of people love to share information when things are going well, but you don't hear a lot when things aren't. And and you're very transparent. Where does that transparency come from? Why? Why do that? Um. Well, so when I was when I was a kid growing up, um, my I mean, I don't think my parents were terrible about this, but you know, and, and probably lots of other people can relate because I think this is kind of a, a little bit of a universal thing. But you know how you know, your mom would say, Hey, don't tell your dad that we did X and Y and Z, or don't tell your dad about X, Y, and Z. And your dad would say, Hey, don't tell your mom about A and B and C. Um, and keeping those lies straight in my head was really nerve wracking for me as a kid. Um, I just, I kind of hated it. That it, it, it stuck with me. Uh, and then I think I, I had another, like kind of big series of events um, from 2001 to about 2006, where um, the consulting company that you know my mom and I were running, which started started out as like her old school, you know, offline marketing consultancy, and then kind of transitioned into SEO Moz. Uh, that business went deeply into debt. I think we you know we owed like 150 thousand dollars. Um, to credit card companies and all this kind of stuff. But then we stopped being able to make the minimum payments because we just weren't making any money. And so that quickly skyrocketed to like 500,000. Um, and so we had this half a million dollars oh. in debt. And, and the smart thing to do then would be to declare bankruptcy because all the, basically all the equipment loans and credit cards and everything were, were in my name so that my dad wouldn't find out that we had this debt. Um, and it, the, problem was, you know, we were like, well, but if we, if we declare bankruptcy and go through the bankruptcy proceedings, then, um, Scott, who's, who's my dad could find out and, and maybe that would hurt my parents' marriage. And so it was very, very stressful to like keep this big financial secret, um, you know, from, from my dad. And it just sucked. I hated, I really, really hated the just secrecy of any kind. I felt like it it just gave me this this weakness that people could discover and then use to, I don't know, not blackmail, but like have undue power and influence. And so I figure if if everything's transparent, if I share all the worst stuff, there's nothing for anybody else to find out. Right? It's it's kind of like a it's a, a, a protective shell. It's a way to insulate myself from bad things um there's there's nothing to find out and so there's no there, there's no worse that it can get than whatever's happening now that, that's a really interesting perspective and i think most people you know tend to do the opposite right in terms of uh the less and and, and especially in a public platform to to share so much kind of almost and you know and show your 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 weaknesses and 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 shortcomings i think is is a really um it's a natural thing to do um and i think you know even when i look at myself and i i think about um launching this podcast which you know a year ago i i couldn't 
imagine um, doing something like this. <laughs> and even when I started, it was terrifying because what if people criticize me? What if people say you suck, right? And yeah. and and I think you know that 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 was a huge fear for me. And and I think I love when I see you know what you're doing because it inspires me to be you know a little bit open you know what put put more of yourself out there and screw it right what's the worst that can happen exactly exactly i think yeah i think there's a a power in um being your own worst critic because there's no critic out there that can give you a hard time after that All right, that wraps up part one of the interview with Rand Fishkin of Moz. Are you still wrestling with rigid spreadsheets that slow down your team? Jotform Tables is a solution you've been looking for. Jotform Tables combines the power of a spreadsheet with the flexibility of a database. You can collect your data through customizable online forms and Jotform Tables automatically organizes and stores all the data submitted through your Jotform forms. You can also import and export files and collaborate with your team effortlessly. All changes are synced in real time, so everyone is always on the same page. But Jotform Tables is more than just a spreadsheet alternative with conditional formatting, data visualization, and more than 250 integrations, it's a complete productivity platform for your team. You can even automate tasks and workflows to save time. Ready to centralize your data, boost your team's efficiency, and take your productivity to new heights? Sign up for free at sasclub.io slash jotform. That's sasclub.io slash jotform. Do you dream of owning a profitable online business or are you looking to sell yours? Bupos.com is the number one platform for entrepreneurs and founders alike. With Bupos, you can discover exclusive listings, browse listings from other marketplaces, or submit your own deal for approval. As the first platform to offer built-in acquisition financing for qualified buyers, Bupos makes it easier than ever to acquire a recurring revenue business without personal guarantees. Their experienced M&A advisory team is dedicated to supporting you throughout the process, ensuring a smooth transaction. Don't miss out on this exciting opportunity. To learn more, visit sasclub.io slash bupos. That's sasclub.io slash B-O-O-P-O-S. Sign up today and get qualified to sell your business or find your next venture. Attention SaaS founders, are you determined to scale your B2B business to that coveted million-dollar ARR milestone? I've got something that can help you get there faster. Introducing the SaaS Club newsletter, your weekly companion on the journey to SaaS success. Packed with proven strategies, practical insights, and exclusive interviews with B2B SaaS founders who've been where you are, this newsletter is your ticket to accelerated growth. Each week, in just five minutes, you'll gain access to a treasure trove of growth tactics, lessons learned, and insider tips to help you navigate the challenges of the early stages and scale your business to seven figures and beyond. So why wait? Become part of a 4,000 plus strong community of SaaS founders and entrepreneurs who are already harnessing these insights to drive their growth. Visit sasclub.io slash newsletter and subscribe to the SaaS Club newsletter today. Gain the support and expertise you need to keep forging ahead on your SaaS journey.